God bless you, choir, for our orchestra that's here. Thank you so much for making that rich. Our praise band, Terry, thank you. It's a wonderful cross. So, Terry, I'm going to let you take this with you lest I plant it on the stage here. That looks like Mr. Arville may have left that. I don't know. Or it grew there from last message. I don't know. Okay, everything's still in there. Good to see you this morning. You look wide awake. Thank you if you're joining us in our simulcast. This is our early service today, right? Didn't think you can make it up for that. I uh, try to make sure I get enough sleep every single Saturday. It's kind of just kind of a ritual, you know, get to bed early. What I do, but I'm on that schedule so much, even though I was lying down last night to try to go to sleep, I didn't, my eyes were closed, but nothing was happening other than what happens that when I normally go to sleep, which means I woke up at my normal time, which was in the threes. So what I did last hour is I gave a 10-minute message and fell asleep up here for a little while. Or some people in the back did also. I don't know, but that's normal. Listen, do you know that Bubba was unemployed? Both he and Cletus needed a job, and they saw the ad that came out. The local zoo was hiring just two people. Cletus got down there first. Bubba sitting there in the interview room. Cletus comes out, gives him the thumbs up. He got a job. And Bubba's hoping he can get the last job. Bubba goes in there. They say, ask him a couple of questions. Not a big deal. And say, you're hired. But before you say yes, let me tell you what the job is. See, the gorilla at the local zoo had died. And they needed someone to act like a gorilla, impersonate a gorilla. They said, Bubba, we have the outfit, we have everything, but we don't want people to come and be disappointed when they come and see the gorilla. So if you wear this outfit and everything, you just do it, you know, six to eight hours a day, depending on the day, and you got it made. Bubba thought about it long and hard, and his wife had called him different things over the years, so he felt he could fill the position pretty well. So he takes a position. He starts, and it's a very hot and humid day. In that outfit, he begins to perspire. It's warm, and he's kind of getting tired and that thing. He says, I'm liking this. I don't have to answer to anybody. Just walk around and eat bananas and fruit. It's a good deal. He sees a rope hanging from a tree, and he decides he's going to ham it up a little bit. He gets on that rope, is swinging for a little while, but his hands are kind of sweaty. He slips off that thing and falls smack in the middle of the lion's den. Bubba is freaking out because right above his head is the head of a big old lion. As Bubba's screaming, he hears a voice, Bubba, this is Cletus, shut up or we'll both get fired. (laughs) Today's message has to do with God's providence. God's providence. And such is the mystery of God's providence. And today, as a kind of a motif in my personal life, it's been cars. I always enjoyed cars. I met my wife because she had some Christian bumper stickers and logos on her car. After I got saved, I believe an angel saved me from driving into a big sinkhole in Florida, waving his hands in front of me in my car. And I've got a few other things. I've got people 
say, Jesus sent me to pick you up in a car <laughs> when I was going to uh, Golden Gate Seminary. Lots of things. A couple of more stories today. But to keep you, to keep you into the mood of the motif, do you know one of the most, there's two really recognized cars in the world, the most recognized. One is a Ford Mustang, a 1964-and-a-half Ford Mustang, very recognizable. The other one is a Chevrolet car from the 50s. David Tate, do you know what year that is? 57, because you answered correctly, sir. You're going to get to hold the motif today. A night, you win a night. Who, tell people when you go home today, our pastor gave away a 57 Chevy in the service. Just let them know that. Here, we'll let you, this is, this is for you. It's, it's yours. It's take care. That's just, just what you needed, right? A 57 Chevrolet. Yeah, you won't believe it at Lawndale. They gave away a car. Unbelievable. But that's the motif today going through that where God works in providence. You may have another symbol for God's providence in your life. I wonder what Joseph's would be. Would it be some chains? Would it be a a little model of a cistern? What what would it be for him? Today as we look at the passage, just two verses today because today we're going to talk about God's providence. Many people think they know what God's providence is. But basically God's providence is central to your behavior and my behavior in the Christian life. God's providence is central to that. In the word providence, our English word providence, there's a Latin word, P-R-O-V-I-D-E-R-E. It means to foresee. But it carries the implication, not just foreseeing, but being able to do something redemptively about the future. And so when you begin to believe in the essence, the character, the nature of who God is, his attributes, one of those is his providential nature, being able to see that and guide different things along the path as we're watching in the story of Joseph. Why do you think God shows us one-third of the book of Genesis regarding this man? Because we're looking more at, well, beyond this man to the God behind this man. And so today we're looking at that in a couple of different aspects, just two verses today. We'll pick this up in verse 22 and we'll be in verse 23 and a little later. The last two verses of chapter 39, just two verses today. The word of God tells us in Genesis 39, 22. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison and what? And he was made responsible for all that was done there. It's amazing when you think about the life of Joseph. Now it's fast forwarding. This didn't happen the moment he walked into the place. Something happened. Something was going on in his life to bring him to that point where he was recognizable as someone that marched to the beat of a different drum. Do people recognize you as someone who marches to the beat of a different drum? I'm talking about the drum from God's word, the heartbeat of God, believing God, trusting God for all that he does in your life. Do you believe in the providence in God? Because such is the mystery of the providence of God. I want you to see something. Bring up our next passage. See, Joseph had to do something. Joseph, to get a testimony, you need a test. First the test, then the testimony. Joseph had what? He had to bear the shame, the reproach, and punishment on account of his integrity and loyalty to God. It's not a surprise that many times when someone has been disparaging to your character, to your integrity, 
If you're doing that, if they're saying that about you because of your stand for God, praise God. Jesus said, blessed are you if you're persecuted. And Joseph could have fallen into the prison of hopelessness. You today might find yourself in that prison of hopelessness for something. Not maybe all of life, maybe a certain issue in life, unforgiveness. Maybe the despair, you should have made a different choice in going back and revisiting that. If only I had done that. Someone here may be thinking or watching on the summit, I should have married that or done this or made that point or taken that job or gone to that school or not gotten the car that night. Whatever it is, you can go back and be in the prison of hopelessness, the prison, the prison of despair, the prison of unforgiveness the prison of envy, the prison of sibling rivalry, on and on and on and on. Such is the mystery of God's providence. I want you to see something in the book of Psalms. We see that hopelessness and despair are not just a part of 21st century life. We watch Asaph as he takes this and writes in the Psalms here in Psalm 73, verses 13 and 14. Surely in vain I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. Well, probably some verses you don't necessarily want to memorize and take to encourage someone, right? How many have memorized that passage? Psalm 73, by the way, it's it's a... It's a passage that starts out believing and talking about God, but you you watch this whole trip that takes place here, and it ends well, but you can get through the middle of this thing and say, wow, I've done everything right, just like Joseph. Kept my heart pure in vain. I've washed my hands in innocence. Here, no good deed goes unpunished. I did what was right, and look where I end up. All day long I've been plagued, I've been punished every morning. So you're waking up every day in the king's prison. You wake up for something that you did right in a place where, golly, I was in another prison of a sister, and I was in prison by, uh, with a Midianite caravan. I was in prison with the Potiphar's wife and what she said. Now I'm here again. What's going on, God? Let's look at some things. This is the great news, for such is the mystery of God's providence, his foreseeing. He has the capacity to turn our prisons into a place of incredible growth, victory, and blessing. We're going to look at some of those today. I want to look at some of those because maybe in one of these areas, you will find yourself in the midst of something where God's saying, I'm ready to do something in your life. Look at this particular instance A prison can become a holy place of prayer and musical praise and worship. See, many times in in the despair, we can find ourselves in that funk. We don't want to praise God because we're forgetting about God's providence in the midst of that storm. And I'm not negating you don't have storms in life. What I am saying is to question yourself whether you're seeing God's hand of providence in it. Can God even work this out? I submit to you, Joseph's situations looked hopeless. But let's see what happened to some people here in Acts 16, 23, and 25. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. Wait a minute. 
about midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining. No. They were praying and singing hymns to God. And note, there's not a superfluous word here. Don't forget the last part of this verse. Because people are looking at you in the midst of your trial and people are looking at me. Look what it says. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Why do you think it says that? Is it a coincidence? Is it just a coincidence that it ends up there that they just say we're looking at them? It's there because God wants us to see when you praise me, a witness is going to go out. You see, we want to think they could have been so inward and so developed into their own self-pity, they could have missed a witnessing opportunity, couldn't they? Remember that sometimes when you find yourself in a prison, other people are looking at you. How did you respond to your cancer biopsy? How did you respond to getting laid off? How did you respond to getting a professor that you didn't want to get that you got? How did you respond to that breakup? How did you respond to that turmoil? How we respond to things tells a lot about what we believe about God. For such is the mystery of God's providence. Look at the second point. A prison can become an out-of-the-ordinary evangelistic tool. In Acts chapter 16, verses 29 and 30, says, The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It can become an out-of-the-ordinary evangelistic tool. Well, God, Pastor, that was back in that day and time. You still have that 57 Chevrolet? Where is it? Lift it up. We got a car story right here. There was a day that in our home we had some wallpapering done. My wife did it. And we're ready to move this very, very heavy piece out of our garage back into the house. I've shared this story before, but it providentially fits right here. It's so heavy, my wife can't lift it with me. I need someone else to lift it. But I go out into the garage anyway, and I look at that thing. And You know how when you want to just get something done, finish, you want to get it in there? And I say, God, I just need someone to help this thing, just to get this in the house. And as it would have it, I open the garage door. and have to go out that way and go through the front with this thing, not figuring a way to do it. And there's a taxi cab in my driveway. I didn't call a taxi. I walk out to that. He says, can you help me? I'm lost. I said, no, you're not. God sent you. (laughs) As my witness. And I told him, I said, I was just praying for someone to help. If you had a few minutes, I'd be able to compensate you. And he was more than blessed to come and help me. And I got to share Christ with that man. You see, God's not through doing crazy things. And if I said to you, I went out there looking for the driver, I went out there and there it was. Have you ever had a lost taxi cab driver in your driveway? (laughs) They make money finding places. I don't know. But God had it that day. He can bring some out-of-the-ordinary evangelistic things our way because, you know why? Such is the mystery of God's providence. 
isn't it? It's also another amazing thing God can do. He can make your, well, He can make your prison a great place of growth, spiritual growth. How many are through growing because you know everything? Right? No one raised their hand. Wait a minute, there was one man that said his wife knew everything. No, he didn't. Listen, bottom line is, you can see this passage here in Daniel 3. Many times God knows where our growth needs to take place because of his providential care. He foresees things, and sometimes things are coming in our lives he's preparing us for, even in the future, just like with Joseph. And God's no respect for persons. Dear friends say, well, I, you know, there's no book in the Bible about me. I'm not important. Don't ever say that to the God that sent his son to die on his cross and say, here's how much I value you. God has a ministry that's unique to your life. But we see it's a place of great spiritual growth. Many times those difficult places are where we cut our teeth on our faith, where we begin to grow and say, God, I trust in you. Great is the mystery of God's providence in our lives. It says in Daniel three sixteen through 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us out of your hand, O king. Now, many times our prayer when we're hitting a dilemma is for God to rescue out of us, right? Yes? God, I pray my biopsy is cancer so I can go through chemo. I always wanted to try that. Anyone pray that? God, I pray I lose my job and have to struggle and be a gorilla impersonator. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. God, would you help me through this or help? Whatever that is, you pray for the thing. However, it must always be couched with the other side of that prayer. Because the window... To worship God in the midst of that storm is about that long. That's all. Now watch this. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. It's the second part that allows you, allows me to worship God. And he was a witness before the most powerful person in the world than all the other people around. God can save us out of it, but if he doesn't, we're, st- we're going we're to live for God and die for God. Many people have found something to live for. Few people have something worth dying for. They did. And God's children are to live with the idea and understanding, I want to have a reason that's so powerful I'm willing to die for it. That's what Jesus said, pick up a cross and follow me. Some have done that. God says, I want to grow you through this. You see the growth for that? You have to give the testimony before you get into the fire, before they give you the result of the biopsy or of whether that person you want to go out with says yes or no or before the job promotion gets filled, or whatever the blank is. You have to give God the glory before that and mean it. And God can teach us how to mean it because in his providence, he wants to grow me and he wants to grow you. What else can God do? A prison can become a place of great wonderment and fellowship with the Son. So what happens? You see, the story could have ended. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get burned up in a fire. 
we'd still say, praise God, they gave their life for the right thing. They died for something worth dying for. But God at this time, in his providence, said, I'm going I'm to have your story go out. I'm going to have your story go out to millions and millions of people over thousands of years. Here's what happens. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his, leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. That's all he could say about the fourth person. There's the wonderment of the miraculous. Such is the mystery of God's providence. He works in ways that are unique and different to all people, but there in the midst of that is something miraculous. Yeah, well, things like that don't happen in our world. Do you still have that 57 Chevrolet over there? There it is. It was 1998. A church in Texas, I'll not name the church, a church that any pastor would want to go to was down to two people. I was one of them, and I felt sure this is where God would have me to be. After several meetings, search, you know the process. You can get pretty excited about that. Begin to dream what God could do in that place. My wife and I went to a meeting after a service to meet with that search committee, and I knew from some of the questions, somebody has sabotaged this thing. Somebody has said some things and done some things and sabotaged that so it wouldn't be me. And I left that meeting, true or false, I left very happy. I left really discouraged. It was so discouraging. And I I found out, and I thought I knew who'd done it, and I found out. Not the point of the story. The point is, I'm driving back and just felt like I'd been punched in the gut. You ever just lose your air, been hit and just lose it all? When on that beautiful, freezing, windy night on I-20 in Arlington, Texas, I hear that sound we all want to hear when we're driving our car. Blah, 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 blah. That tire's flat. <laughs> Here's Johnny. <laughs> Ready to go. Get out of the car. You'd find out where that wind Say it was a windy night in Texas. That's where none. It's always windy there. It's only windier. I get out, and it's. We had a car, my wife's car, and it had those metal rims on there, and they're pricey, and they come on certain cars. Ours was, I don't know, ten years old, however old it was, but it has a tool, so that no one can steal that rim. There's a tool that looks like this. And it's unique to your car because only with that. Someone can't steal your wheel unless they have that tool. They just can't come up and jack your car up and steal your wheel. You need this to get that lug nut off. So I jack up the car. I use the other, the, my regular wrench like you'd have in your car to take off your lug, uh, your uh, lug nuts. But I 
can't find this. Am I happy? So I begin to look, and I get so frustrated that I take everything out of the trunk. Maybe it fell in some crack or crevice or somewhere. But when I say everything, I took everything out because that wheel's not coming off without this. I take it on the side of I-20. I have the mat from inside. I have the t- everything, everything in there, nothing. And I think, why didn't you just look in the glove box? <laughs> Duh! No PJ sitting in there, and I open up the door, and I look in the glove box, glove box, and lo and behold, it's not there either. <laughs> I go back. I don't even know what to do. I'm just putting everything back in there. I am in such despair. All going back, by the way, to God can work in a place where it's just his wonderment working. And in dejection, I lean down inside my trunk and I'm just praying to God. I'm not exactly sure all that I'm praying. I'm just telling God, I, feel, I, I don't know how to feel lower. I'm saying, God, I need to get this thing off. I need. And when I finished my prayer, whatever it was, I'll not tell you something erroneous that I prayed. I was praying to God. I needed this. And my head's two inches from that mat. And when I open my eyes up, it's there. Now, I know what you will say. Probably the first reaction of my wife, you missed it. You didn't see it. Or when you put everything back in, it appeared there. Let me just tell you, this wasn't there. It wasn't in my car. I believe God put it there. And you know what happened at that point is what I, what I needed in God's providence was God saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And then shortly after that, this church from North Carolina called. It was in Raleigh. No, it was right here. It was this church. And God was right, wasn't he? God. God can make a little tool appear. God can do That's God. And ladies and gentlemen, he's no respect to person. He can have someone appear with you where you need to be. He can make a tool appear. He can make a zig where there's supposed to be a zag. He knows when you're discouraged. He knows when you need that extra shot. He can bring it your way. He's always interested in developing us, bring up the next prison we can find ourselves in. See, a prison can unlock the chains of the things that hold us back and bring miraculous change. It says in Acts 12, 17, suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. There you go. Well, another story. Listen, you either believe in the providence of God or not. That's what God did in his life. And he wants to unchain us from some of the things that are holding us back. Not to play off of a motif and use the same word, but I would say this to you. There are some things way stronger than chains that hold us back. And God is very interested in helping us 
get those things off of us and bring the right things to us, to bring about miraculous change in our lives. Are you different because of Christ? Do you believe, since God's providence is fundamental to the Christian's behavior, do you believe in the providence of God for such is the mystery of God's providence, of how he works and what he foresees and what he does, period. Look at Genesis 39, 23, the last verse in chapter 39. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. How crazy is that? Because the Lord was with Joseph. Why is this part here? Because this part is here. The Lord was with Joseph, and by the way, Joseph was with the Lord, and gave him success in whatever he did. It didn't look like success. Would you define being in prison as success? Would you define being slandered as success? But you see, God said he gave him that because the Lord was with Joseph. If you want a successful life, it doesn't presuppose you'll never find yourself in some kind of a prison or dilemma. You may find yourself in a self-imposed prison because there's some chains on you holding you back because you forgot about the wonderment of God's providence in your life, that there's something to learn through it and rather than fight it, sing a hymn of praise to God. Use it in your life. In Psalm 40, verse 2, he lifted me out of the slimy pit or even a cistern, out of the mud and mire, He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. That's the God of providence who's working in our lives. Next slide. Thank you. Joseph did each small thing to the best of his ability. Now, there is no such thing as a small thing in the hand of God, whether you're looking for a fitting for a lug nut or whatever it is. There's no small thing. And sometimes when the door closed and we're disappointed, I wanted that class, I wanted that professor, I wanted to go out with that person, I wanted that promotion, I wanted to have a better biopsy, I want all the want, 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 want. God is in the midst of it. And you see, because God purchased us, he knows what is best for us. And because he knows what's best for us and he knows the future, he will bring things in my life and your life that help make us more complete because we wouldn't choose many of those things ourselves. If they interviewed Joseph as he's getting ready to go out to see his brother, say, what do you think the future holds? It looks really bright and wonderful. I had this really cool dream. You can't believe God, God, I'm going to be in a place of leadership. Yeah, you are. We're going to find out later. He's 30 when that happens. He's 17 when he goes to see his brothers. God's providence works over the course of time, and he wants us to be true and to grow through that and to grow in him and to use our lives while that happens. Watch this. His brothers, the cistern, the Midianite slave traders, a pagan household, Potiphar's wife, and the king's prison. Next slide. Note. All the powers of darkness and evil were unable to put an end to one of God's servants and stop his testimony. It didn't make any difference. You see, as I said last week, it's not so much your circumstances, what you do with them. Such is the mystery of God's providence. Remember, not only the righteous and their lives, but the unrighteous and their ungodly paths and work are in the hands of God. Do you think they escape the judgment of God, the providence of God and working through them to work in your life? He's working in it. Look at this next slide. See, in Job 12, 20, in his hand is the life of what? And the breath of 
all mankind. Take a good deep breath. Any of you wake up today and say, thank God I'm breathing? There's probably a few that may have. And we, yeah, it's right there. God, yes, thank you. But I mean, after you do it, how many have been thinking consciously, I'm breathing, I'm breathing again, I'm breathing again, I'm breathing again? We don't. Now, this is the Hebraic way of saying, even the very air that comes into your lungs, the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind, believer and unbeliever alike, in the hands of God. And even some of your persecutors may become those who become some of the best witnesses for Christ. Does it ever happen before? Is there a God by the name of Saul? Is that his name? Saul? We don't know. You see, we look through human eyes because we don't have the gift of providence, but we believe in the one that has providence as part of his nature. It's what he does. And he foresees that and knows. And many times the very thing we fight is the thing God wants to use to bring that in someone else's life. The very thing we fight. Look at this next verse. For such is the mystery of God's providence. Job twelve eighteen. He takes off the shackles put on by kings and ties a loincloth around their waist. If ever that fits just, he takes off the shackles put on. God's, God's work is in that. It's ironic that in prison we find so many different stories in the early church about God releasing people from prison. We see Joseph, an incredible story there. Walls, do you think walls are a barrier to God's providence? Do you think that job promotion going to someone else is a barrier to God's providence or that person you wanted to see or that whatever the instance is? God's providence is working. You see this verse in 1 Corinthians. Such is the mystery of God's providence. It says in 1 Corinthians one twenty-five, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. Let me ask you something. Is there anything foolish about God? You see, this is a hyperbole. There is nothing foolish about God, but if there ever was something that could be foolish about God, but there's not, it's wiser than man's wisdom. The greatest wisdom we can possibly pull from all of humanity doesn't compare to it. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So where are you going to put your faith and trust? God says, if you're one of mine, put it in me. I'm the one that will take care of you. I'm the one that's watching you. I'm the one that purchased you. And I take care of my property. And even those that don't claim me, all men's breaths are in my hands. And the righteous and the unrighteous are under the providence of God. Today, you may have something going on in your life. You just need some encouragement. Pastors, come forward if you would. You'd like to just pray with someone, or maybe you need to pray with someone. So you're in the midst of a test, and God says, I've got a testimony for you. We want to be with you and pray with you about that. Today, maybe there's something God brought to your mind that are some chains around you because it's bound you. And rather than embrace it, you fought it. You fought it. God says, embrace it. Let me take those chains off. Believe I have things in control. My providence is seeing your last day on the earth. And I see where you are spiritually. And I'm interested in building eternal things in you. I'm an eternal God. I'm not interested in the little day-to-day thing of making you have a hundred billion dollars. 
That may be your lot. But I'm interested in making something more eternal in what you're doing down here for my honor and glory. Are you willing to be used and trust me with that? Are you? For such is the mystery of God's providence. And it's worship when we trust his providence. Today, if you don't have a church home, God may have providentially brought you here for whatever reason. We'd love for you to come forward today as a candidate for membership here because we believe God's word from cover to cover. We believe in salvation only one way. And if you haven't done this yet, you can do it today because you're going to leave the earth. All of us will. When you're breathing that last couple of minutes of life for all breath is in God's hands, can you say with all assurance, God, I know I'm going to spend eternity. I can say that not because I'm a pastor, not because some people may think I'm a good person. The fact is heaven's a perfect place. No one writes this will enter into heaven. But Christ, when he died on the cross, took all of my sins, took all of yours. He paid the debt for our sin. He bled and died, rose from the tomb three days later and offers eternal life as a gift. The message of this church is we're not a religion here to sell religion. We're not here to say if you join this church, you go to heaven. You don't. What happens when you put your faith and trust in the only one that can save you, Jesus, that he paid for all of your sins. He died, rose again, and you put your faith in the Savior, not a system. He will save you. That's the message of the Bible. And then what we believe in our church is we serve him out of thankfulness, gratefulness, and out of obedience as the Lord of our lives, not to be saved, but because we are saved. I'm going to ask you to stand. Please don't wait. We'd love to hear from you and pray with you today. Come forward and let's be God's church.